0: Good morning, Another beautiful Sunday, I I love it that, uh, I don't know about you, but I'm kind of getting tired of summer, Um, and I like now if you get up in the morning early, it's like 70 degrees out, it's like, yeah, fall is coming, amen, right? I know, the older I get, the less I like the heat. Um, Anyway, my name is Eric Birch, Uh, as you know, I'm an associate pastor here. And um, we are in a series about our identity in Christ. And um, today uh, we are going to look at uh, Ephesians 2.5. Um, and our message is, I've been made alive in Christ. Now I'm going to read through 4 through 6 just to give you the context of 5. But our main focus is going to be on verse 5. So Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 to 6, it says, But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our wrongdoings, made us alive with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now, like every good verse, there's three points in it. It's funny. I have an old pastor friend of mine, he's like, every message has to have three points. And I'm like, says who? There's a book, it says so. You know, this is how... <laughs> so anyway, so there's three points we're going to make out of this. Uh, first one being, we are dead in our wrongdoings. So what does that mean? What does it mean to be dead in our wrongdoings? Um, dead is kind of an interesting concept, right? Because dead means different things to different people. Uh, What does it mean to be dead? Uh, We recall the story of Lazarus, right? Lazarus was dead in the tomb for four days before Jesus raised him from from being dead. And that was important because in those days, you had to be dead four days to be dead. That was like dead, dead. You were good at four days, right? Really dead. And today we think of dead as conditional. You are dead if, right? So like, for instance, we think, you are dead if your heart stops. Well, if you use that definition, I've been dead quite a few times. Um, my first surgery, my first heart surgery, they had to open me up, stop my heart, put me on this machine that pretended it was my heart and lungs for nine hours while they rebuilt my heart. So technically, I was dead for nine hours because my heart wasn't beating, right? It's hard to work on the thing when it's moving, so they stop it so that they can work on it. Another time, I was—they uh, were doing a test to figure out how bad my cardiomyopathy was, and they gave my heart this stimulant to see what would happen when it, you know, overstimulated, and it coded me. And so, um, the—they—they—I uh, remember when I come to, came to, there was these two nurses with their eyes really wide open, you know, during a headlight look, and this doctor explaining um, that when you give this stimulant, you should have a doctor around. And I'm thinking, yeah, because when you kill your patient, it's good to have. Someone who around who can start you. And poor Donna's out in the uh, waiting room and she hears this code blue and you know, I get all done with this and, and I come back out and she goes, Is that you? Yeah. And and you know the weird thing about dying is you don't remember anything that happened while you were dead. Um I remember afterwards, because I had these two huge sunburns on my chest from where the paddles go, and I felt like I had been lifting too many weights, you know, my whole chest ached from the process, but the actual being dead part, I don't remember at all, which is probably a good thing. But, so the, um, I've also been dead a few times, unintentionally, right? So I had a a process where my heart would just stop on its own. And so the, um, they gave me a pacemaker, so that now when my heart doesn't want to beat, the pacemaker says, no, you're gonna beat, and it beats. And it's great, because pacemakers come with a lifetime warranty. So, all right. So clearly there's more to being dead than your heart stopping. And then we hear about people being brain dead. You know, but there's no brain activity. Um, <laughs> I've met people at work I thought were that way. But anyway, the, uh, but I remember I read a story about this young teenager in England who had been in a serious accident, and he was brain dead. Um, but within uh, a few hours before they were ready to harvest his organs, he came back. And he was, in fact, not really dead. Um, and I'm thinking that's timely. Um, it's certainly better to do that after they've taken your organs. But the um, anyway, so it, the thing is, we have a really hard definition of what dead means. So what does it mean to be dead? Well, I don't know that we can come up with a concrete definition of what it means to be dead. But one thing that's important to understand is when you're dead, you're not cognitively relating with anything around you. You are dead you are unaware of what's going on. Um, I know a lot of things that happened when I was dead because people have told me, but I wasn't there to experience it. I only know what I know because people have told me that while I was dead, this was happening. And I wasn't participating, right? It wasn't like I was helping anything. I was just dead. And so it is with spiritual death, right? We read in Genesis 2, 15 to 17 And then the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to cultivate and tend it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may freely eat, but from the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for on that day you eat from it, you will certainly die. So, of course, we know what Adam and Eve did. Uh, even though God warned them that if they ate of the tree of the fruit of knowledge of good and evil, they would die. They decided to do it anyway, and he died. They died. And some would argue, no, he didn't die. He was still completely alive. He was still functioning in the garden. Well, he wasn't in the garden anymore, right? Remember, he got kicked out. Um, But he died spiritually, which means, again, when he died spiritually, he could not cognitively address spiritual world anymore. He lost that connection to the spiritual. He died spiritually. He kind of fell into a lower form of life, the living life, but not the spiritual life. Right, He lost that connection to God that he had. And you know, it's funny, Donna and I talk about it, because you imagine having a relationship with God where you're walking around the garden with him, having conversation, and then to lose that. I mean, that had to be traumatic, right? Very different life. All of a sudden, you're no longer communing with God the way you had. And we see the consequences, right? Ephesians 2, verses 1 to 3 Says, and you were dead in your offenses and sins, in which you previously walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all previously lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath, just as the rest. So Before we came to know Jesus, we lived in that other world. That world that was all about the flesh and not about the spirit. And to different degrees. Certainly I know not everybody trespassed the way I did, but everybody had their own stuff that they were in the world and of the flesh. And I think of spiritual life kind of grades of life. Certainly a plant is alive alive but it's not alive the same way that an animal is alive. You know, and an animal is alive, but not in the same way that a human being is alive. A human being has a mental capacity, a mental processes that are superior to regular animals. Right? But that mental capacity, that mental level of life is not the same thing as living in a spiritual level of life. The spiritual level of life is a higher level of life. And fallen men and women can't reach across the void. You know, we talked about this last week. We can't expect people who don't know the Lord to be able to comprehend the Bible the way we do because we have the spirit that guides us so we can understand it. We have that spiritual bridge to understand it that they don't have. So to understand things of God, we have to be born again you'll recall the story of Nicodemus in John chapter 3, verses 1 to 6. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus at night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with them. Jesus responded to him and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless someone is born again, they cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a person be born um, when he is old? He cannot enter his mother's womb a second time and be born, can he? And Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless someone is born of water in the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which has been born of flesh is flesh, and that which has been born of spirit is spirit. You see, Nicodemus here is trying to grasp this idea of being born again. But he's still thinking in the flesh. So he's thinking, oh, born, yeah, I know that process. Woman delivers a baby, I'm supposed to get born again? How am I supposed to get back in the womb to be born again? His mind is trapped in this level of flesh. It's not spiritual. It doesn't, it's trying to grasp the spiritual understanding of what being born again, born of the Spirit, means. Um. He's got this temporal mindset that just can't grasp the idea of outside of his own physical limitations. So when one is spiritually dead, one cannot comprehend the things of the spirit. Uh, They can't interact with the spiritual world any more than a dog can do calculus or a dead man can dance. They're just not capable of that function. Now, someone spiritually dead is not alarmed by the thoughts of hell, nor do they rejoice at the thoughts of heaven? They're unaware. They have no guilt or shame about the law. You look at Galatians 3.10, it says, For all who are of works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law to do them. Now the spiritually dead have no commotion within themselves about the fact that they're not following the law because their spirit is dead. There is no affront to the law because they're unaware. Just as thunder doesn't startle deaf people and lightning doesn't startle blind people, neither does the curse startle the spiritually dead. They are, as we all started, dead in our wrongdoings. All right. Point number two, but God made us spiritually alive. Go back to Ephesians 2 verses 4 and 5, but God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our wrongdoings, made us alive together in Christ. So the objective of the gospel of Christ is to create new men and women and a new creation in Christ. Um, And this process, we become spiritually aware. Now, people argue that men and women are naturally good. And if you educate them properly and you teach them morally that they will behave good. Well, anybody who raised kids knows that's not the case. I didn't teach my kids to lie. They figured it out all on their own. And they figured out how to disobey. How many people remember your first time that your two-year-old looked at you defiantly and said, no? (laughs) We didn't have to teach them that. They knew all about it. They had it all figured out, right? (laughs) So. So before coming to the Lord, I had a life that I was not proud of. But I did live in accordance with most of the social customs. I, for the most part, did what was right because I didn't want the consequences for doing something wrong, right? Why don't you drive down the road at 100 miles an hour? Is it because you're concerned about those people around you or are you concerned about the tickets you're going to get if you're caught? <laughs> so, um, and so there's a big difference between doing something because you're afraid of consequence or doing something because it's right, because you believe it's right. And back then, I didn't have a sense of sin the way I have a sense of sin now, right? Today, I'm aware of sins that I would not have even thought of sins back then. And if someone had said, hey, you know, you're offending God by doing that, I would have kind of laughed at him and go, okay, yeah, whatever. You know, just wasn't on my radar. wasn't something I was concerned about. We read in Romans 8, verses five through eight, for those who are in accord with the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh. But those who are in accord with the spirit The things of the spirit for the mindset on flesh is death, but the mindset on the spirit is life and peace because the mindset on the flesh is hostile toward God for it does not subject itself to the law of God for it is not even able to do so. For those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Again, people in the flesh are incapable of being spiritual in that spiritual life with God. They're dead but we've been made spiritual alive. And the process of being spiritual alive brings to my senses an awareness I didn't have before. You become aware of things in your life that have to change. Salvation and sanctification is both an event and a process. Right? It's an accomplished fact, a continuing walk, and a future hope. So, I know analogies always fall short, but I want to give you sort of this analogy of what I think this process looks like. Imagine a dead person laying within a coffin. Coffin sealed shut, coffin in a tomb. All nice and quiet. Person in the coffin, no awareness of anything around them. And an angel comes, and touches them, and brings them to life. And he starts to breathe. And as he starts to breathe, he comes alive. And as he comes alive, he realizes he's in a box. He could sense the sides and the lid. And there's darkness. He tries to breathe, and there's this smell of death and stench all about him. And there's no air. And he's starting to panic What is going to happen? He's stuck in this box. And so with every moment of panic, he pushes against the lid. And because the coffin is old, the lid parts, and the planks fall to the ground. And he's able to sit up and breathe. And as this startling starts to end, he gets to look around him. And he sees around him He's in a tomb. And there's a dampness in the air. And there's a smell of death everywhere. And here and there he sees other coffins that have been busted open. And so it is us when we come to know the Lord. For years we lived deep with sin, with no discomfort, quite content in the life we're living. But when we are woken up in this spiritual life, we are utterly wretched and desperate. We realize what we have done. We realize the guilt and shame that we have from our past life. And we repent. We realize that I must do something differently. Now we go back to our man in the tomb. Now with the lid removed and free to breathe and gasping for air, he fills his chest again and He's out of the coffin, but in the tomb. He climbs out of the coffin and again sees there's other empty coffins around him. And he looks over and he sees there's light coming out of the cracks in the door. And he's drawn to that light. And as he walks toward that light, he starts peeling off these decayed clothes and and windings that he was buried in as he walks closer and closer to the door. And as he gets closer and closer to the door, less and less is on him, the light gets brighter. And he sees around him there are others that are walking toward the door, that are trying to get to the door. As he gets close to the door, he smells the fresh air coming in through the door. It's a very different smell than the air that's in the tomb. And so it is for us. One by one by one, we see these dirty rags that are in our previous life that need to go away. And yeah, there's big things that go away. There's things when I first came to the Lord, I knew immediately these things have to change. I can't keep doing these things. But as we walk along, there's more, smaller things that have to be done. The Spirit looks at us and says, yes, that too must go. That too must change. Theological terms, we would call this progressive sanctification. of a neat theological word. But basically it means becoming more Christ-like every day. Shedding all this that isn't Christ. 2 Peter 3.18 says, But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. So finally... This previously dead, now made alive man, gets to the door, pushes the door open, along with others, walks through the door and is surrounded by green fields and blo- blossoming flowers. And there's a freshness in the air, and there's a smell that's nothing like what he bed behind him. His body is stripped of all these decaying gardens, garments, He's washed clean, and now he carries the robe of righteousness as he goes through the door. And he has no desire to return to the place he just left. He's grateful that he's gone and out and where he is now. And we, too, having been born again, have no desire to return to our past lives. Those things which previously entertained us no longer an attraction. Because we have joys that don't compare to those sorts of things. Our joys are much grander, much greater than those trappings that we lived in before. And we have a promise of where we're going and exactly what it's going to look like. I don't know. We think of mansions in the sky and gold and clouds and all that sort of stuff. I don't know exactly what it's going to look like, but I know it's going to be a far greater house than what we live in today. uh, As we go through this life. 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 23 and 24 says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely, and may your spirit and soul and body be kept complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he who calls you, and he will also do it. What a great promise. We know, as believers, how this ends. We don't know when, but we know how. We have that great promise. Well, finally, point number three, we are alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in our wrongdoings, God made us alive together with Christ, right? We were made alive with Christ. That means that the life that lives in us as one who is saved is the same life which dwells in Christ. We read a story in Second Kings where a body came in contact with Elisha and sprung to life. Second Kings chapter thirteen verse twenty-one. And as they were burying a man, behold, they saw a marauding band, and they threw the man into the grave of Elisha. And when the man touched the bones of Elisha, he received and stood up, or he revived and stood up on his feet. So you can imagine, here they throw this dead corpse out of the way, falls in, touches Elisha, and boom pops up alive. So just as the prophet's bones touched the dead man to bring it alive, so too, when our soul touches Jesus Christ, we are born again. We are sprung into life. And the Father has given Christ to us to have life and for him to give his life for others. So while Christ gave his life on the cross, his bodily life, he returned with spiritual life just as we can get that spiritual life from Christ because we've touched Christ second corinthians 13:4 says for indeed he was crucified because of weakness yet he lives because of the power of god for we too are weak in him yet we still live with him because of the power of god directed toward you god's power directed toward jesus brought him to life spiritual life, life everlasting, resurrected, and we too will be there as well. So we are made alive in Christ in three ways. First, we are alive in Christ representatively. Christ represents us before the throne of God. He is the second Adam, and as long as he lives, we live before God. Christ knows of our sufferings because he suffered also. It's interesting we think about the struggles that we have in life, Christ went there too. He had a real body that really suffered. He knows pain, he knows suffering, he knows hunger, he knows cold, right? He knows all these things and he knows of sin. In fact, he knows of sin better than we do because he did not sin where we have failed. When tempted, he never did. So he knows sin more completely than we do. Christ is accepted, so we are accepted. Christ is justified, so we are justified. Hebrews 4, verses 14 to 16 says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, Let's hold firmly to our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things just as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let's approach the throne of grace with confidence, so that that we may receive mercy and find grace for help in our time of need. So Jesus Christ represents us before the throne of God. Second, we are alive in Christ by being in union with Christ. if the head is alive, the members are alive. You know we talk about the vine and the branches. you know we are alive because we are in union with the vine. So long as Jesus lives, every soul is vitally united with him and is a member of his body. You remember the story at the lady at the well John eleven verses twenty five and twenty six Jesus said to her. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Right. Everyone who believes in me will live and never die. Because we are in union with Christ. Jesus will live eternally and therefore we will live eternally with him. Finally, we are to live together with Christ in likeness. While Christ was dead to the law, the law had no dominion over him, and now he lives again. And likewise, we were cursed through the law, but now it has no power over us because we are with Christ. The law exists, but we are not under the law. We talked about this last week. The law is good good guidance on how to live our life, but it isn't a stick that beats us. Romans 6, verses 8 to 11 says, Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all time. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. So you too consider yourself to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Again, dead to sin, alive with Christ. So we no longer live in the flesh, we live for God. And we will not go back to that spiritual death now that we have divine life. So in conclusion, because God is loving and merciful, has a great love for us, he has made us alive in Christ. And it was the love of God that breathed life into Adam and made Clay walk. But It is a far greater love which makes him now, after the fall defiled us, renews us with a second and yet higher life, a spiritual life. And he's made us new creations spiritually alive with Christ. So embrace your new life with Christ, in Christ, and for Christ. Father, we are so grateful for all that you've done, the fact that you love us so much that you have provided us opportunity to be with you forever. That your grace and mercy has reached down from your heavenly places and released us